Well, it's been quite a while since we've seen this level of volatility in the markets. So what do you do? Well, in my line of work, I switch into crisis counselor mode. So sit back and get inside my mind as I share some of the things I talk about and do with clients during market panics. Next on Money Speak. Well, the timing of this podcast couldn't be better. So at the time I recorded this, the market was just fine. But at the time this episode goes to air, it's totally different. COVID-19 has created a frenzied panic in the markets, causing volatility that I haven't seen since 2008. Um, However, I want to be very clear. This isn't 2008. Okay, 2008 was a structural failure of the credit markets and financial system. Uh, This, uh, we we don't know exactly where this COVID-19 pandemic will will lead us. Um, but we do know one thing, it's creating a level of hysteria that has most investors very uncomfortable. So let me set this episode up for you. Um, I was contacted by TD Ameritrade Institutional a few months back to be a guest on their new podcast, which is called Beyond the Portfolio. And the topic was going to be navigating clients through times of crisis. Uh, And our discussion revolved around my experience as an advisor for the last 13 years, including the 2008 market collapse. So, like I said, when we recorded this, it was early January. COVID-19 was on the radar, but certainly not having the impact on the markets like it is now. So, uh, little did we know that when it went to air uh, last week, we'd be in the midst of this pandemonium. So, anyway, I I hope you enjoy this episode of Money Speak. It's kind of a unique one because... um, it's, it's going to be uh, an interview that I did for a different podcast, uh, but I think it's certainly very relevant considering the volatility we're going through. So I uh, hope you enjoy it, and I hope you can take a little bit of insight away from this to maybe help guide you during these pretty crazy times. Enjoy. Welcome back to Beyond the Portfolio, the podcast where we talk with financial advisors about the more personal side of their business. I'm your host, Jim Edward. And I'm joined by Mike Pruitt of MBE Wealth Management in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. Because Mike began his career as an RIA just before the 2008 crash, he's well equipped to counsel his clients through periods of uncertainty. Welcome to the show, Mike. Good morning, Jim. To kick things off, you kind of started your career in the midst of a market crisis. Is that right? The beginning of my career was a full crisis. You know, whether it was personal crises that people were dealing with or the large market shifting, it was all a blur in the beginning. I've tried to black most of it out, but it was rough. The first year, you know, you're going through a lot of training. So by the time I actually got licensed and was starting to work with clients, it was still early 2007. So I guess in hindsight, the writing was on the walls, but things were still going good then. And then fall of 2007, things started to kind of fall apart. And it was hard because when things are going really good, a lot of advisors tend to get together. Everybody's commiserating well and helping each other out. But, you know, by the end of 2007 and into 2008, it really was every advisor for themselves. So as a new advisor, I was basically on an island, you know, not many people to talk to except for a select few that still were willing to have conversations. Everybody else was just trying to make it through. And when you're brand new to the industry, you're brand new to this profession, brand new to the whole concept of investing, trying to guide clients through it, I knew it was going to be tough. Yeah, I can imagine. So early on, how did you manage to help clients who were dealing with their own personal financial crises? Yeah, one of the first situations that I encountered 
it, it really happened in the very beginning. And it was a client that she had just lost her husband. She was completely in the dark when it came to finances. As most people in our profession can attest to, we have a challenge with men spending a lot more time on the finances than women. And the challenge was she had always left everything up to him. He passed away suddenly. You know, obviously she's grief-stricken. Now she has to deal with the finances. Everything from paying for the funeral, the life insurance, his retirement accounts, not to mention just things like paying the bills and other things like that. So, and mind you, this is probably summer of 07. So things are starting to get a little bit rocky, but as we start working through everything, things just keep getting worse. So I did the best I could. I think the main thing we did was we talked quite a bit. I have to say, you know, that was one of the first things early on in my career that I was trained on was not to spend too much time talking. You know, you needed to sell, which means the more time you spent talking to somebody, the less time you were spending selling. And so it was all about being efficient with conversation and getting a person in and out. And it just, it didn't feel right to treat her that way. And so there was a lot of phone calls. There were a lot of her visits to the office, expected, unexpected, where we just were going through everything and ultimately I think she started to get comfortable because she knew I wasn't trying to sell her on anything. It was really, you know, I was sympathizing with her. I mean, I couldn't imagine dealing with what she was dealing with. So we just started carving out a list of everything that needed to be done and started prioritizing it. And I could just remember her getting more and more comfortable with that. And I think for her, a big thing, and for people in general, when they go through something like this is they just don't know where to start. You know, they're overwhelmed. And for us as professionals, sometimes it's second nature to us and we forget that. So for her, I think just even putting together a list and starting to prioritize and then showing her, you know, look, we're going to handle each one of these, you know, in this order. And we worked through it. And to this day, she's a great client of mine and, you know, we've got a great relationship, but it was rough in the beginning. You mentioned that she became more comfortable as the relationship went on. Was there a point where you started to become more comfortable in your conversations with her, especially as things in the market continued to decline? Definitely. Definitely. I never had a pride issue where if I didn't know something, I wasn't going to try to muddle through it. From day one, I've always told clients that, you know, I'm not going to have all the answers, but I have a way to get all the answers. So, you know, for me, I didn't worry too much about the fact that I didn't know how to handle a situation. I knew I had a good support structure around me that I could call, whether it was our back office or another advisor, you know, one of my mentors, and they'd be able to help me too. So that made it very easy. I could not imagine being somebody who was just completely alone in this profession trying to navigate through something like that. That would be very, very stressful. But yeah, I definitely got more comfortable as time went on with her. You know, you bring up an interesting point, Mike. Many people that I speak with, they talk about how they have to remind their clients that they are not alone. You know, those people have a support group around them, whether it's family or friends or their financial advisor, but they have to remind them that they are not alone. Uh, and you bring up a point about the other side of things. Financial advisors also are not alone. You have resources, you have support groups. So, you know, it's not just you that is there for these clients, but you have support as well. Correct. And as an industry, I think we're getting better at that, but we still have a long way to go to 
basically look at each other not so much as competition and more all in the service of clients and being able to work with each other, not only within companies, but uh, reaching across companies too. You know, and that's something that I honestly hope gets better as my career progresses. So we'll see. So it sounds like you began your career in a real time of crisis with a client that you undoubtedly felt compassionate for. Do you think starting off this way equipped you with some of the tools and experiences you could apply from then on? Absolutely. So at the time, I was probably every night going home saying, this was a terrible choice. (laughs) I couldn't have picked a worse (laughs) time to get into this profession. But I also had a couple really good mentors that reminded me all the time that this, and, and this is in the beginning of it too, where they reflected back to earlier recessions and they said, you know, look, this is the time when we lose financial advisors. People just can't handle the stress of this and they leave. And if you can make it through this, you'll be just fine. Well, a year and a half later, you know, 40 plus percent down on the Dow, I get through it. And now I look back and I realize that was probably the best time to start in the business because I now can go forward. And when I meet with clients, when things get rocky, you know, summer of 2015, last fall, when the market started dropping, I can tell clients, you know, look, I've been through the worst. I was there in 07, 08, 09. And so now in hindsight, I look at it and I think I wouldn't have wanted to start in any other period than then. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. On that point, are there any other client relationships that have helped to shape you as an advisor? One that stands out in particular for me is a client that was new to me and he had all of his net worth in General Motors. And as I talked to him and understood why, it was because he had started at General Motors back in the 50s and had spent 50 plus years of his career there. So he had grown up in that company And at that time, you know, if you think back 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, the world was a different place when it came to retirement planning. It was stock options and pensions. So for him, his entire net worth had been built up in General Motors stock. And I remember, I think one of the reasons I had probably inherited him as a client is because he had a large account that just had General Motors stock in it and he wouldn't do anything with it. And my guess is the former advisor viewed that as, well, I'm not going to make any money off of this, so I might as well hand the client off. And I remember he had stock certificates upon stock certificates in his safe deposit box and at home. Once I realized that he had his entire net worth in General Motors stock, that's when I was concerned. And it had nothing to do with the fact that it was General Motors as much as it was he had everything in one stock. I think that one really opened my eyes up to really asking clients questions about why they feel the way they feel. So in his particular situation, he had a very unique backstory. He basically was one of the very first people with General Motors that transitioned their business overseas. So he had been there for a long, long time. And as you can imagine, somebody who's been with GM for that long, you know, he built up a significant net worth in General Motors stock. And at the time when we first met, it was doing well, but then it slowly started to decline. And as we moved into the financial crisis, we started to see the issues. And meanwhile, he's watching his net worth drop. And as a naive advisor, I guess at the time, I spent most of the conversation just trying to say, hey, look, you've got to get rid of 
this GM stock. It doesn't match the five to ten percent of the portfolio, you know, in one single stock recommendation that you know I was trained on. But he just he wouldn't have it. He just wasn't having that conversation with me. He wouldn't even engage in that. Uh, he was polite about it, but he just nope. I'm holding on to it, and everything he had was in GM. So I remember one time I went to his house and we were talking about something and he wanted to show me his basement. And when we went down there, it was like a museum dedicated to General Motors. It was incredible. And it started to hit me that this was much more than stock to this man. He helped this company go from where it was in 1950 to where it was now in the 2000s. General Motors was part of his DNA, so when I'm telling him to get rid of his stock, I'm more or less saying, like, you need to disown one or two of your children here. It just was not going to happen. But once I started talking to him about it and realizing how much General Motors meant to him, is that's where I think actually we had a breakthrough in our conversation. He still wouldn't take my advice. Now, meantime, GM stock is sliding and sliding. The stories are coming out you know, financial issues and slowing sales and all this other stuff that, you know, and we ultimately, we know where GM ends up is in bankruptcy. But I think where it got really interesting for us is he started sharing more and more stories about the culture of GM and what GM meant and what it was doing. And when he started talking about how it is now, You could see that he was really disappointed in the fact that General Motors had changed that much. And I really just let him talk. You know, I spent a lot of time just listening to the stories, partially because they were really interesting. He had a fascinating story, but also because I knew it was just, it was therapeutic for him. Well, ultimately, I think he starts to realize that this is not the General Motors that he grew up with. It was a different company now, and when he started to realize that, he started to realize that he was getting rid of stock that was just stock. It wasn't the GM that he had grown up with. So when the dust settled, you know, he did lose quite a bit of money, but he also was able to get out of a lot of it uh, and still have a, a sizable net worth to pass down. But it really showed me at the time that when you're in crisis mode, you really just have to spend a lot of time asking questions and listening. The concept of active listening is something that is lost on so many people. So in this instance, your client wasn't wanting to take any action at all. But I'm curious, on the other side of that, how have you dealt with clients who are maybe acting irrationally by making a drastic move in response to a major shift in the market? Is that something you've encountered? Yeah, I would say I've experienced that quite a bit. You know, you can imagine 07, 08, 09, But I do think we have to be careful. When we say someone is reacting irrationally, the idea of that rational reaction implies that you know what to do, right? So we're in the Midwest, right? So somebody who grows up in the Midwest understands the rational behavior when a tornado hits, right? So a tornado is coming near. You go to the lowest floor of the house. If you have a basement, you go down there. But if you never have grown up around tornadoes, you've never experienced a tornado drill, you don't know how to react. So you just take cover, right? Now, is that irrational behavior? I don't think so. You know, I think that's where we have to kind of look back and understand that what he was going through, what people went through in 07, 08, 09, what my client that was going through the death of a spouse went through, 
this is the first time for them. So I don't think they're acting irrationally, but I, I do think it's our job to help them understand that, you know, what you're going through, it may be the first time for you, but other people have experienced this and here's how we need to act in it. Now, there is the flip side to that, and that's where I do think people get irrational is going into 07, where the market had spun up pretty well and everybody wanted to jump on board. But when you look at mutual fund flows back then, you know, some of the highest amount of money pouring into equity funds occurred in 2006 and 2007, right? So people are just throwing money at the market irrationally taking money out of savings, you know, irrationally pulling money out of a home equity line of credit in order to invest it. To me, that's irrational behavior because theoretically you've been there as the market has gotten higher. So that to me would be, I would consider that more irrational behavior than the person who wants to make a serious change or go to cash because this is the first time they've ever experienced a 40% decline in the stock market. But I think it's important too, Jim, we can't make them feel like their response is irrational, right? Even if in our mind we're thinking, why would you do this? This is crazy. This is irrational. Uh, my opinion, that's probably the worst approach to take to help them change that behavior. So I think it, it's important to also recognize that in their mind, it is rational. So we've got to approach it with some sensitivity. That's a good point. And on the topic of sensitivity, do you find that you communicate with clients more often when you're working through this type of situation? So that's a great question because I think you can kind of go in two directions with this. So when you talk about that communication, obviously during the crisis, absolutely. And many advisors know out there that during these types of crises, that's the best time to be talking to the clients. And it's also the time when a lot of advisors shy away from picking up the phone or sending out an email, or just a simple call to check in and say, hey, how are things going? But I think the other part of this, too, is when it comes to communication, the importance of talking about things like this before they happen, right? So spending time preparing clients, you know, obviously the death of a spouse is a sensitive conversation that if you're talking about it, it's more of a holistic conversation about you know, look, if something were to happen to either one of you, here's what we have in place for insurance or here's some weak points that we need to be working on. But, you know, I'm spending a lot more time now preparing clients. Instead of celebrating the performance of the market this year, starting to have more conversations about, hey, look, this will come to an end at some point and we will see some type of decline. Here's how we're preparing for that now. I didn't have that opportunity in 07. I started and six months later, it started dropping. So now I know I need to be preparing clients for these types of things in advance. And I think being proactive about that conversation when you finally do get to that point, I think it'll make those conversations easier. And to your original question, it may make it so you don't have to reach out to the client nearly as much because they are okay and they feel comfortable. Yeah, some of the groundwork is already laid there. Correct. In all these different conversations you're having, Certainly experience plays the biggest role in how you approach discussions with clients. But are there any other resources or training you've utilized to prepare yourself? You know, I don't think there's any specific training out there for a crisis counselor 
in our career field. And part of it is just the way the profession is built, right? If you're a new advisor, if you're a firm trying to build, the money has to be there. So sales training takes priority over the conversational training. So there's not a lot out there. And I think firms that can figure out how to spend a lot more time on the behavioral finance concept of training their young advisors and even their seasoned advisors actually um, will probably be ahead of the curve. But I do think, and I do it all the time now, it's, it's incumbent upon us as professionals to find resources that are out there, whether it's mentoring, you know, and finding experienced advisors who have been through these types of things. There's so many great resources on behavioral finance and books and things like that. But as far as formal training, there's really not a lot. There is a designation available now that's geared towards behavioral finance. But again, when you're at the beginning of a career, that's probably not going to be the designation that most advisors go after. So I think training is needed, though. We're getting better at it as a profession. We're getting you know better at it as groups coming together, as firms talking to each other, you know, TD Ameritrade, a great example when you go to conferences and, and you're able to, you know, have these conversations with other people who may not be in your firm, but are certainly in the same position as you. Sort of goes back to that um, support network you were talking about earlier. Absolutely. Now, Mike, you have a background in the military. Do you think the discipline and rigor you learned in your training plays a role in how you approach your job now? I do. In the beginning of my career, I didn't really talk about my military service I actually thought it might be a bit of a disadvantage because early on in my career, I thought you had to have a background in finance and economics and my, I I had a liberal arts degree and I was in the military and I sold tombstones. (laughs) You know, for me, I didn't, I didn't feel like I had the resume that really made me equipped. But then as we went through what we went through in 08, 09, and now looking back, I absolutely think the military, and it's not just the military that instills this, but having discipline and having leadership that comes with, for me, that military training was huge. You know, the discipline's important because you have to stay invested. There's certain rules of the road that we have to follow, but you also have to be able to recognize when it's time to adapt and overcome, right? And that's a common slogan in the military is, you know, improvise, adapt, overcome, Um so you have to show clients that, hey, what we plan for, it might not be occurring right now, but that's okay, and we'll adapt to it, and here's how we'll move forward. When I think about back in my military experience, the military is based on planning, whether it's how troops are fed, you know, all the way up to a full-scale invasion. And there's good reason for that because it helps keep everyone focused on the same goal. It doesn't mean that we're going to rigidly follow it. You know, we want to be able to adapt and overcome. And so my approach has changed over time to try to be more planning focused because of that, to know that, okay, here's Mr. and Mrs. Client, this is our goal, here's our plan for it. We know that we're going to have to deviate from this plan at times, and, and that's okay. And I think when they understand that, you know, that then ties into part three, you know, and that's that leadership. and. As somebody who's grown in the military, the longer you're in, the more and more leadership responsibility you have. But the same goes for being at a company. 
the longer tenure you have in a company, the odds are pretty good. You're taking more of a leadership role in the company. You're leading more and more clients. So you develop that, what I would say is a non-traditional skill because you're not taught discipline. You're not taught leadership training when you're in financial sales training 101. But it's important because the clients during those crisis times, they're going to look to you as the advisor to lead them through. I view it that way as it's my job to lead them through, adapt to the plan as we need to, and have the discipline to follow the rules that we've kind of established along the way. Thinking about your experience, what advice would you offer to other advisors who maybe haven't been faced with a market meltdown just yet? Learn how to simplify things, especially if you are just starting off. I think the natural tendency is to do what I did, which is try to dazzle people with charts and things like that. But if you can learn how to simplify very important concepts, and there's so many great resources that are out there to help. If I have a new advisor come into the firm, one of the books I want to be able to give them is Carl Richards has a phenomenal book called Behavior Gap. And he's one of my favorites in our profession because he just has this incredible knack for taking very important financial concepts and literally distills them down to a drawing on a cocktail napkin. So it's pretty amazing to watch what he does, learn the important concepts and learn how to simplify them. I don't know how many clients I get that come in and one of the biggest reasons they choose to work with me over time and leave another advisor is because they say, I like how you just can relate these things to us, these concepts. You don't talk over us. You don't talk down to us. And it still amazes me that we have that many people in the business that are still out there having these types of conversations, you know, that are just putting clients to sleep because they don't understand what they're saying. I also think you have to go out there and learn things on your own. You know, the sales training that your firm provides for you when you're new is great, but you have to take it upon yourself to go out there, whether it's to get more professional designations or, you know, find some good books, learn the history of the markets. I think that's a super important point too. You know, one of my favorite sayings I've always heard in this business is that history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure rhymes a lot. And we see that. We'll see that in the next recession, the next big market decline. It's not going to look anything like the last one or the one before that or the one before that. But there's going to be a lot of similarities. And if you can help clients understand those similarities and help them understand, I know it's not like that, but it's very similar. And here's how we made it through. You're going to put clients to ease. So I would say that's another one. Go out there and understand the markets and understand what has happened in the past. And good mentors. I mean, we hit on that in the beginning, but find good mentors from the very beginning and and latch on to them. And I think that's something big firms do that very well. Uh, the independent firms, I think we have a little bit more of a challenge because you might be in a smaller firm. And, you know, if you're in a group of four, five different advisors, you know, maybe none of them really fit your personality and it's hard to have them as a mentor. But I also think that the RIA world is very open in conversation. I have a couple colleagues here in the Madison area that, you know, are we in competition? I guess technically you could say we are, but 
I don't think we view each other that way. We view each other as resources. And if I'm up against a challenge, I'll call them and they'll call me. And I think that's important to not forget that that is out there also. So if you're a young advisor and you go to the TD Ameritrade conference, find other advisors that aren't in your group or in your firm and ask questions. You mentioned that history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but follows closely in line. You've been doing this for 15 years. But it seems like you're of the mindset that you're still never done learning. Absolutely. Yep. I think when you start to get complacent in this job, I think you are, you're doing a disservice to your clients, but I think you're also doing a disservice to yourself because there's so much great information out there. Podcasts, for example, you know, the YouTube, there's so many amazing pieces of technology where you can, in a short amount of time, hear a lot of different perspectives. If you're not absorbing that and trying to get better in your profession. Ah, you, I don't know. I couldn't imagine just sitting around and being content with what I know right now and having no desire to learn anything else going forward. It just no way. That's such great advice. Mike, it's been a pleasure having you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jim. Been a great time. Well, there you have it. That was the uh, interview that I did for uh, the TD Ameritrade podcast, Beyond the Portfolio. And like I said, I hope you were able to get something out of it. Um, right now is is definitely a pretty crazy time. And I could certainly dedicate probably every day podcasting for the next month or two, uh, trying to kind of walk through this chaos. Um, you know, everything, everything is always different, but everything's always the same. I've said it before on this show, and I'll say it again. One of my favorite lines uh, in our industry is that history doesn't, repeat itself, but it often rhymes quite a bit. And the idea there is this time is different, but this time is also the same. Okay. It's different because we've never seen this COVID-19 pandemic style of impact on the markets. Um, But it's the same too, because we've seen unknowns. And that's really what causes this type of volatility and this type of market craziness is just an unknown. We've been through unknowns before. Um, Our markets, our economy, our, our people, the global economy is very resilient. So right now it's a little scary because things are unknown. As more and more information comes out, as we know more and more about COVID-19, we know more and more about the impact that it will have on the supply chain and ultimately on the economic numbers, um, things will start to calm down a bit at that point. So anyway, uh, stay tuned. Again, I hope you enjoyed this episode and, and hope you're able to take something out of this from a behavioral standpoint that you can use and to try to navigate through this craziness. As always, you know we greatly appreciate you tuning in. If you have questions or comments, um, shoot me an email at mike.pruitt at mbewealth.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, all that good stuff. So uh, as always, thanks for joining us, everyone. Take care. Money Speak is hosted by MBE Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Views expressed in this show are of the hosts and guests only. Information contained in this show should not be considered investment advice, tax advice, or personal recommendations. Consult your financial or tax professional with questions. Advice may only be provided after entering into an advisory agreement with MBE Wealth Management.